0: I just want to ask you this question as we get started. Has this ever happened to you? You're out shopping for the, gre- for the perfect gift. Let's say it's for Christmas, and you're at a outlet store, and you find the perfect gift. Let's say that it's a shirt, and it's the right color, and it's the right size, and it's on the clearance rack at the outlet store, so it's the right price. And so you quickly buy it and then you wrap it up and the big day comes and you're there with your family and you're exchanging your gifts and then the big moment comes when your gift is going to be opened and your loved one opens it and sure enough, it was the perfect shirt. Like it's the shirt they've always wanted and they're so excited about it. The color, the size, everything's great. They put it on and then to your horror you realize why it was on the clearance rack at the outlet store. One sleeve is longer than the other. There's a button missing. And you are embarrassed because everybody thought you were cheap. And now they know you're cheap. And you think, Dag, if I'd only known that shirt was missing a button, I would not have bought the shirt but now it's too late. That is a picture of the devil's schemes and how they work in our lives. It always looks great on the rack. And we don't realize that we bought a dud until it's too late. This past week, My sweetie and I were praying and talking about what does God want to bring to His people this weekend. And we really felt impressed that the message this day needs to be on the schemes of the enemy because we are living in some pretty dangerous times and um, we need to be aware of the schemes so that we can not fall into them. And my prayer is that this message this morning will actually prepare you and me and kind of, um, I guess, tune us, if you will, so that we're uh, more able to navigate the, the tricky waters that uh, we are in during this season. So would you pray with me, please? And, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to teach us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father... I thank you that you have perfect insight, perfect discernment. Lord, your truth is the only truth there is. You are truth. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes. We want to be able to see what you see. Lord, we pray with Jesus in the way that he taught us to pray. Deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. God, we pray, open our eyes we want to be able to see the schemes see the tricks so we don't fall prey to them god and i ask you that you would teach us today from your word inform us lord do your work in our hearts we ask in jesus name you agree with me say amen 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 so thank you worship team I just have really appreciated their ministry so much in this time. It's been such a blessing. Um, you know, it, it actually has been fun to record these services. And uh, I, I mean, I, I look forward to being with you very much. And, but, you know, it's, we enjoy doing this together too. Um, you know, a busy church does not change the world. If that was the case, then the world would be saved by now because church people are some of the busiest people that I've ever met. No, a busy church does not change the world. Um, A praying church changes the world. A church that is on her knees, hungry for God, a church that is ablaze with the very fire of God, a church who is less concerned about being entertained and and more concerned and more consumed with a desire for God, like that's the kind of church that changes the world. I believe that's the kind of church that God is after in these days. The late Jerry Falwell, who founded Liberty University, he said this, he said, revival is not just a feeling of excitement of the Lord. We get excited about many things, but excitement is not revival if God is not the thing that gets us excited, if God is not the thing that gets us excited. Isn't that true? New River Church, is our hunger for God increasing during this season? You know, we look forward to getting back together again, but can I ask this question? Do we hunger more for God than ever before. Because my friend, I believe that that's part of what God wants to do in us during this season, is to make us more hungry for Him than ever before. Jonathan Edwards uh, said this. I read this quote this week, and it really grabbed me. Now, Jonathan Edwards was the son of Timothy Edwards, who was the first pastor of the town of South Windsor, which is the town just next door here to Manchester. Timothy Edwards Middle School in South Windsor is named after him. But you heard that true. He was the first pastor in the town of South Windsor. You see, back in colonial days, in order for a town to incorporate, they had to be able to financially support a pastor and build a church building. That's the reason why every town in the state of Connecticut actually has a congregational church in the center of the town. You see, our founding fathers of the state, they actually believed that the church of Jesus Christ is essential, and a town couldn't form until it had one. The church of Jesus Christ is still essential. It's just many people have forgotten it these days, but that's not the point. I just want Jonathan Edwards, he grew up just right in this area, and he was one of the leaders of the Great Awakening that burned through this region in the late 1700s. And Jonathan Edwards said this, he said, now granted, this is old language, so we have to slug our way through it a little bit, but he said this, he said, when God is about to bestow some great blessing on his church. It is often his manner in the first place. So to order things in his providence as to show his church their great need of it and to bring them into distress for want of it and so put them upon crying earnestly to him for it. Like I said, it's kind of old language, but if you were to update it, what he's saying is this, that when God wants to pour out a great blessing, he puts his church into a great need in order to wake us up from our slumber, in order to send us to our knees in prayer, to seek after him for it. God's definitely put us in a season of great need And I think rather than asking God to get us through this time, rather than asking God to just, you know, protect us and make everything okay, friends, those aren't bad prayers, but can we shift our praying as a church and begin to ask God, God, what is it that you want to do? God, do what you came here to do in my life and in our lives. God, don't end this thing until you have accomplished what it is that you want to accomplish in our hearts, God. Do it, do it complete, do it now. We never want to come back here again, God. Show us what it is you've got for us, God, in this season. And don't let up until you've done everything that you brought us here to do, God, can you make that your prayer? God, I'm hungry. I want you to do all that you want to do in my life. Use this season to do it. God, kill me even if it's necessary. You know, contrary to what some might think, death is not the worst thing that could happen to someone, hell is the worst thing that could happen to someone. To breathe your last breath on this planet and then to slip into forever and spend eternity apart from God, that is the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being. And it's my prayer that by the time we're finished today, that you would actually begin a relationship with Jesus if you've not done so already, that you would say, oh God, I want to start now. I I ask you, God, to come into my life. I ask you, God, to take over. I I give my life to you because I don't want to spend forever without you, and I definitely don't want to spend the rest of this life without you. God, I want you in my life. Jesus is just waiting to answer that prayer for you. I don't know who said it, but I believe that it's true. He said, when the church gets revived the devil also gets revived. And so the more excited and the more hungry we get for God, we can also count on the fact that our enemy is going to do his best to counter that in our lives. Jesus appropriately warned us of this in the book of Mark chapter 13, verse 22 and 23. Jesus told us this. He said, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Jesus said, be on your guard. In other words, don't let the devil catch you off guard You know, it's awesome that Jesus has taken the wheel in your life. Fantastic. But don't fall asleep in the back seat. Jesus has told us, be on your guard. Be aware that your enemy is setting traps for you all along the way, and you don't want to step in them. Let's be aware of the clearance rack at the outlet store and thinking, oh, that's a great deal, and then finding out later, no, it's not at all. So Jesus tells us to be on guard, and our subject today is sober. I admit that. I, Sorry for that. But let us handle it with care this morning. I want to talk today about the devil's Schemes. And we're going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to start with verse 10. It says this Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love that, don't you? Finally, be strong in the Lord. Finally. See, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the Christians who lived in the town of Ephesus. They were Ephesians, and so that's why the letter gets that name. It's the Ephesian Christians, and Paul's coming to the end of his letter, and he's like, finally, one more point, guys. Don't forget this. You kind of put the last point at the end because that's the thing you want to leave them with. You don't want them to forget it. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood listen the virus we're not fighting a virus we're not we're not fighting something that you can see with the naked eye or see under a microscope our struggle is not against flesh and blood he says no our struggle is against the rulers it's against the authorities it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil In the heavenly realms, he says, Be strong in the Lord and take your stand against the devil's schemes. The very word scheme tells you what it's all about because scheme implies something sinister, something dark, like nobody schemes something good. You don't go, oh, I'm scheming the Sunday school picnic. (laughs) No, that's not how it works. No, you plan picnics and you scheme crimes. And it says the devil schemes. The whole point of a scheme is to do something dark and underhanded. In fact, the word scheme that gets translated scheme rather in our Bible is a compound word. And it literally means change traveling. It's two words, change traveling. And it's the idea of, I guess, like a magician that would use sleight of hand. And it's kind of, hey, look at this hand. But meanwhile, this hand's doing something. Oh, no, no look over here. No, no, I'm back. Not, not here, over here. See, he's trying to get your eyes to change traveling. Don't look at over, look here. And then, of course, the trick is done, and when it's over, you didn't know how the magician did it. And that's exactly what the devil's trying to do. He wants you to change traveling. He wants you to look here. Meanwhile, he's working here, and he's working to undo. He's working to contradict you. He's working to destroy you and me, his schemes. What are the devil's schemes? I want to talk about them this morning. We can get a little picture of his schemes as we read the rest of the passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Going on in the text starting with verse 14, it says this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now you could do this study on your own. I would encourage you to do that when this video is over. Take a little while and open up your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, and go through each one of these pieces of armor that are mentioned in this text. And then just simply think, how that armor would actually defend you against a particular scheme. Try to think about the scheme of the devil that might correlate with that particular piece of armor. It's a great little study that you could do on your own. But for the purpose of our time in this video, I just want to zero in on two of the schemes. Let's talk about deception and division. After all, he tells us to put on the belt of truth to guard us against deception tells us to wear our feet fitted with the gospel of peace to guard us against division let's talk about deception first in john chapter 8 verse 44 jesus said this about the devil he said the devil was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Most of us have heard this before. This is not news. You're like, oh, yeah, the devil lies. Tell me something I don't know. Friends, you need to understand, he is an expert liar. When the, devil, when the Bible says that the devil's a liar, it's not saying, like, he's the kind of liar, like a little kid that lies, and you can tell they're lying. Did you steal the cookie? No, and they get the little shifty eyes going, and you know they're not telling the truth. That's not the kind of lie that we're talking about, and we're not talking about the kind of lie like, you know, honest Ted's used cars. That's not the sort of lie that we're talking about here. No, you need to understand the devil is an expert liar, and he lies 24-7, every moment of every day to you, every week, every month, every year of your life. He never stops lying. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that the devil himself masquerades as an angel of light. Friends, he looks beautiful. He, He himself, his appearance is a lie. He always looks awesome. And then, just like the clearance rack deal, fantastic, until it's too late. How does the devil deceive? His deception comes to us in two primary forms. Listen, we're just really being very simplistic in order to get to our point today, but two primary forms that the devil Works to deceive us. They come basically in two statements. Either the devil is telling us things are worse than they really are, or he's telling us things are better than they really are. When he tells us that things are worse than they really are, what he's trying to produce in you and me is fear. Oh, it's bad. Oh, it's really bad. Do you see the odds? you see how impossible that is? Oh, this is huge. There's no way you're going to get out of this. He tells you it's so terrible, awful. And what he's doing is he's taking your eyes off of Jesus and he's putting your eyes on the problem and he's making the problem seem like it's even bigger than God is. And when your problem is bigger than even God, you have a reason to be afraid. That's the goal of It's worse than it really is. See, his object in getting you to fear is to cause you to hold back so that you don't engage in the work that God has for you to do. Friends, if you're making decisions in your life based on what might happen, you're living in fear, you're not living in wisdom. The God we serve is well-known for sending us into some very terrifying, threatening situations. And every time He does, an awesome story comes out of it. Just imagine Joshua and the people of Israel, the battle of Jericho. Think about it. God asked them to walk around the walls of Jericho in silence for seven days. You understand that strategically speaking, that was the worst move ever because sitting on top of those walls were trained archers, each with arrows aimed at every Israelite. They could peg them off one at a time as they walked silently around the wall. If Joshua had operated by what if, they would have never done that. And you and I would have missed out on one of the greatest stories in our Bible, one of the greatest victories in our Bible, because Joshua and the people of Israel listened to the word of God instead of the deception of the enemy. Sometimes he tells us things are worse than they are. Other times he tells us things are better than they really are. Now listen, he tells us that things are worse than they really are to make us afraid. He tells us things are better than they really are to lull us into apathy because if things are better than they really are then oh I don't need to worry about that that's not anything I need to take care of apathy the end result is the same what he's doing is he's taking you and me out of the game as it were either I'm out of the game because I'm afraid or I'm out of the game because I don't care and I don't really see the need either way You and I have missed out on the opportunity to be a part of the miracle that God is doing. Consider Noah. Think about him. He's a great example, I think, in the Bible of someone who would have had to overcome this deception that led to apathy. God asked Noah to build a boat in the middle of a desert before he had ever even had rain. The Bible tells us that rain hadn't even happened yet. You understand, so Noah had no concept for what it was, and he's building this boat, and it's a huge boat, and the Bible tells us that it took Noah 100 years to build the boat. Can you imagine the kind of faith that it must have taken to swing a hammer day after day for a century without ever seeing one drop of evidence that you were on the right track? You don't think there wasn't a few moments in that 100 years where Noah was thinking, what am I doing? Why am I getting blisters on my hand? Why is this boat so big? (laughs) Surely the voice of apathy would have wanted to take Noah off the project, and yet he stayed true to it, and you and I have one of the greatest examples of faith in the Bible. You understand deception is the devil's scheme. And of course, he loves to do the bait and switch on you and me, loves it. Hindsight is always 2020, isn't it? And the devil loves to come in there in hindsight and say, oh, hey, look at that. And then you look at it and you realize, oh, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I-, I wish I hadn't run from it. I wish I had engaged in it. Or, oh, that was worse than I thought it was. Go- oh, man, I wish I had done something about that. Either way, the devil took you out of the game. That's the goal, deception. The second scheme of the enemy is division. Even the very name devil suggests that he's about division. The word that gets translated into English devil, the Greek word is diabolos. And the Greek word diabolos, it literally means backbiter or accuser and it literally means to throw across if you take the actual word Diablos it means to throw across the idea is I'm casting accusation you and I might say that we're slinging mud, so to speak. You're, you're saying things that are meant to undermine the character of that other person. When you're slinging mud, you're casting accusations. That is a very devilish activity. Division comes in two forms. There's two things that the devil does in order to divide us, criticism and judgment. Criticism and judgment criticism boy it's easy to criticize others isn't it criticism says you're not doing it right you're doing it wrong here's all the ways you're messing up oh it's easy to criticize it's easy to criticize our governor it's easy to criticize our president it's easy to criticize your pastor it's easy to criticize your kids teachers as though somehow, see, you would make the transition to online education a lot better than they did. Oh, it's easy to criticize. It doesn't take much to do it at all. And our news media has made a fortune out of criticizing. You just pick whichever channel you want, and that'll feed your own sense of justification for your criticism You know, you want to criticize the president, you turn on CNN. You want to criticize CNN, turn on Fox News. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. My point is, it's easy. It's easy to play the critic. And when you play the critic, you play right into the divisive hands of the enemy. It's part of the scheme. Listen, there's a place for criticism. There's a place for constructive criticism. When we're on the same team, Look at, let me tell you, constructive criticism. We're on the same team. We're tackling a problem together. Let's address it together. That's constructive. But the kind of criticism that I'm talking about undermines. It tears down. The kind of criticism that I'm talking about, it assumes that I'm the one who's in the superior place, as if if, if I was doing that, I would do it so much better. It's criticism. It's right out of the pit of hell. The cost of criticism is division. Criticism leads to judgment. Judgment just takes criticism to a whole nother level because criticism says you're doing it wrong. Judgment says you are wrong. Criticism says you're doing it badly. Judgment says you are bad. Judgment actually slaps a label on someone as if to summarize everything that they are is about this one thing whether calling them a bigot or calling them a hater or calling them a liberal or calling them, you name it. There's so many labels. But think about what happens when we do that, friends. You're taking a human being who is literally made in the image of Almighty God, and you're saying that human being is all this one negative thing. It's completely unfair and it's completely wrong. All we do when we judge is we play into the divisive hands of the enemy. We fall for the scheme. The only one who wins when you and I are divided is the devil. Now, thankfully, the Bible has given us an ace that stamps out criticism and judgment every single time. The Apostle Paul alludes to it. When he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says this, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I like that Paul puts it in the double negative. We're not unaware of his schemes. When you do a double negative, it's really a positive, but it's a way to emphasize the positive. It's as if Paul's saying, oh, no, 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 we know what the devil's all about here. He's trying to divide us. And because we are aware of that division, here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna stop that right here. I'm making the choice to forgive. And when we forgive, you cut the criticism down, you cut the judgment out, you bring unity, you restore unity. Forgiveness is God's powerful weapon to undo that terrible scheme of the devil. Friends, um, we're living in some tricky times. There you have it, two of the devil's favorite schemes, deception and division. We can see them now. Let's not fall for them. I want to run the risk here of giving a direct application to this message, but so. So, soon, pretty soon, I don't know when, but soon, we're going to be permitted to worship together again. And when that day comes, there will be some of you who will say, it's too soon. And then there will be others who will say, it's about time. And the temptation is going to be to criticize and judge the other for taking the stand that they are and New River Church let us be aware of the scheme of the enemy and say absolutely not we're not going to fall prey to that trick no we're going to love and we're going to support one another in the decision that they make because the truth is if you choose to stay home for a little while longer that's not a sin and if you choose to begin to gather together publicly that's not a sin it's a personal choice And the way that we demonstrate unity is by supporting one another in the choice that we make. Unity doesn't mean that we all do the exact same thing. Unity just simply means that we champion one another. As you follow the Lord and you do what you feel the Lord's leading you to do, I cheer you on. Seek hard after God, and you do the same for me. And as we look at other churches around in the area, they might be doing things a little bit differently. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to champion them. We're going to support them and encourage them and cheer them on. Friends, we're not going to fall prey to the scheme of the enemy to bring division. We don't want to fall prey to his scheme in deceiving. Let us be a people who take our cues not from circumstances, but from heaven. Let us be a people who are hungrier for God now than we've ever been before. I pray that by the time we come back together again, our passion for God is burning so brightly, friends, that when we get together, it's like a fire. It's like a fire and that the world around us says, whoa, what happened to the church? It's like she's awake. Oh, yes, let it be God. Let it be God. Let it be and let it start with me. Friends, I love you. And I sure don't want you or myself or anyone else to fall prey to the schemes of the enemy. Let us, as Jesus said, let us be on guard. Amen? Let us be on guard and recognize that there are schemes. Look over here. I'm doing this. No, no, no. You and I want to be watching for this, friends. I don't want to fall for that again. Amen? And let me just give one final word before I pray. If you've fallen for the devil's schemes in your life, and friends, we all have so you're in great company I want you to hear this as we close today the bible tells us in first john chapter 1 verse 9 that if we confess our sins God is faithful and he's just and he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can be assured that God is eager to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make you right. So this morning, if you have been made aware of how maybe you have fallen into the schemes of the enemy, please know that that your God is wanting to restore you. He's given a fresh start. Confess, he forgives We learn from it. We move on. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for us. Like that song we sang earlier, there's another in the fire. You are always, always with us, whether it's a difficult time or a good time. I thank you, Lord, for your constant presence. And now, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes, that we would see like you see. Make us, make us wise, Jesus. Make us wise, we pray, to the tricks and the schemes that our enemy might be setting for us. Our eyes are on you. We love you, Jesus. May you be honored in us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you, friends.